All right, hello to everyone. This is another episode of the Epistemic Unruliness stream of the Always Already podcast. This is your host, James, and today we've convened uh, a roundtable discussion on Black Lives Matter and on the wider movement for black lives. This is a really robust and dynamic conversation with three activist scholars um, that are local here to the Hampton Roads region of Virginia. Um, and so I don't want to take up too much time um, at the beginning here because this is a longer episode than what you are used to. But um, of course, if you you know have been paying attention and you don't have your head in the sand about the world and in, in the United States today, this is a very timely conversation and it's one that I've been wanting to have in depth for a while. And so I'm glad that um, we were able to get our guests to come on um, to join me in studio for this roundtable discussion. Um, and I will add in, though, yes, this is a very heavy subject matter and it is a sober-minded uh, sober conversation, but we've also found a way to make it enjoyable. And I think there's enough levity um, and there are some moments where we are, you know, throwing a little shade here and sipping our piping hot tea over there because any good conversation is going to be critical. Um, even when we are talking about the movement for black lives, there, there are ways to be critical about that um, in its praxis because we want to see it succeed. Um, and so I will leave out now and give you a break. Um, when we come back, we'll have the roundtable discussion. All right, we are back. Um, I have three guests with me today, and this is a special recording session because they're actually looking at me in my face in the same recording studio. Um, so if, if I get a little nervous, um, it's because I have people staring down the back of my, well, not the back of my neck, the front of my neck. Uh, but we've got, yeah, you see, <laughs> see, and you know, it's funny, but like, sometimes I, like, I can do other things when the guests are talking, but like right now, today I won't be able to do that. So, um, I've got Tyrell Cooper and Travis Harris and Shauna Haynes with me. I'm going to let them introduce themselves, but we are commissioning this round table on Black Lives Matter and the movement for black lives. Um, so, all right. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll jump off with this joint um travis and travis Harris, and we were talking already when i was like look i don't need to say a lot i'm a black dude in america (laughs) that's enough i mean some other stuff about me married two kids love my wife i need to put that in there you hear that baby look married two kids you hear that but uh, also i help organize and start the black lives the local black lives matter black lives matter chapter here I'm Shauna Haynes, and I am currently working on my Ph.D. in American Studies. I focus on American legal history, particularly in areas of citizenship and cultural citizenship and visual culture. But I also teach English composition and literature and um, social justice um, activist. Okay. Um, I am Tyro Cooper. I am an activist. I recently graduated from a local college university here in Virginia. I'm not going to put them out because I ain't trying to deal with that. Because um, <laughs> I'm probably going to address them later. But yeah, uh, I graduated in December with a degree in sociology. And um, let's see, I got involved in activism. Um, my 
freshman year of college when I started, and there were like really a lot of inequalities and justices, a lot of issues with my campus, and I refused to go to a school that I paid thousands of dollars for just to be oppressed. So I fought back. Um, and I've been doing the work ever since then. Let's see. Uh, I am around. <laughs> <laughs> and just full disclosure, uh, Travis and Shauna are my fellow travelers here in the American Studies program, PhD program here at William and Mary. So I'm pulling in, pulling in local talent, and, and Tyrell is down the road from us. So we're just going to jump right into it with um, the most general of questions um, for any of the listeners who may not be aware. If you're not even halfway paying attention, I suppose, right? But what what is Black Lives Matter, the movement, the organization? Is there a difference between those two? Yeah, so I and I actually was the one who really suggested that we start in this direction, primarily because I feel like there are a lot of misconceptions out there when we talk about Black Lives Matter. For example, I was just in a conversation just like earlier this week, and this dude was just like blasting. So there was a, a local killing where a black a a, 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 some, a black person got killed in this dude's neighborhood. He was like, where's Black Lives Matter at? Well, or they always talking about um, Black Lives Matter, but I don't see Black Lives Matter with black on black crime. I was like, oh, I was like, dude, dude, pump, like pump your brakes, fall back, son, fall back. And like, and I do want to say this, like I'm always careful in the ways I address our, our fellow black brothers and sisters. So I was, I was kind of, I was more laid back in my response. But the main thing I want to communicate is, look, Black Lives Matter started in 2012, hashtag Black Lives Matter, with the killing, uh, after the killing of Trayvon Martin. And like the website says, after, even though Trayvon Martin was the one who got killed, he was the one who, who went on trial. And I actually, and I'm sure we can all remember the day like, can y'all remember the day when mm-hmm. you was watching TV and um, Zimmerman got off? I remember I was sitting on my sofa. I was pissed. I was I went through the full range of emotions, pissed, angry, upset, hopeless, all of that. And, like, so what Alicia Garza, Pat- Patrice Colors, and Opal Tamati, they got together. They formed Black Lives Matter, the hashtag form. And then the the repeating phrase on the website and throughout the movement is this. Moving the hashtag from social media to the streets. So that that, that hashtag that started in 2012 moved from there. And then um, more, more background information in 2014. Um, and there was a, 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 in a, in a way, it's kind of like a freedom ride, but it was a bus ride to Ferguson. And a lot of people got involved this bu- with, with this bus ride across the country. Again, the founders were involved with this. But from this bus ride, again, there was like this, this same emotion and energy and upsetness and all that that happened with Trayvon Martin. Once again, the nation was confronted with, with in Ferguson. I think it's also important to note that... Um there's often we have the hashtags with individual names and but having a black lives matters um hashtag that encompasses all the violence against black men women and children shows that this isn't we're not just caring about this person now or this person now or this person now but it's an entire movement to address these inequities and this violence so i think that coming up with the hashtag that unites 
the movement was absolutely brilliant. And yeah. people who want to hark back to the, the black-on-black crime is just a, a, a derailing tactic. And coming from of people of color, it's actually more hurtful sometimes yeah. um, because you can kind of sometimes understand why um, white people don't understand or people who don't identify as POC don't understand. But when people from... Um, you know, my own community don't understand that that's a diversionary tactic and we're talking about state-sanctioned violence versus other type of violence um, and that people actually are addressing that other type of violence. You know, there are, are a whole bunch of things. So I just wanted to, before we got yeah, too definitely. far afield from, from the hashtag and from that diversionary tactic, I just wanted to come jump in and, and mention that. So then two things which I think can help transition to the next thing. Um, number one, to be very clear, it's so much more than police brutality. Right. So a lot of people think that's another common misconception. People think that Black Lives Matter only focus, focuses on police brutality. No, Black Lives Matter, and let me read this exactly from um, the website, um, affirms the lives of black queer and trans folks, disabled folks, black undocumented folks, Folks with records, women, and this is the key phrase, all black lives along the gender spectrum. It centers those who have been marginalized within black liberation movements. It is a tactic to rebuild the black liberation movement. And so a way that helped me, uh, like a quick way of, under, of remembering and thinking about Black Lives Matter with BLM is to think of BLM as Black Liberation Movement. So we're thinking about the Black Liberation Movement, then we're thinking about all of the issues mm -hmm. that black people systemically are dealing with, ranging from, in addition to police brutality, but incarceration rates, um, food deserts, and the list that goes on and on. Right. So and then, I would oh, just say, all, to tie in what you were saying, Shauna, all the other systemic problems of... <clears throat> of white supremacy and its oppression of black people feeds into black on black crime. Right. right exactly. In, in a way that those people who just throw up the black on black crime, but don't actually dig deeper as to see like, why are there these like chocolate cities, right? Or right. black enclaves right. through redlining. Why are schools in those districts right. failing? You know, why are, why is the drug war ravaging that community right. and taking away, you know, half of the, the, you know the the productive people of it and whatnot. So there's so many other factors. Right. Yeah. That even black on black crime is another symptom of white supremacy. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And it's one of those things when you're like, okay, well, you know, most crime is intra racial, and right. white like on 90%. white crime, <laughs> white on white crime is just a few percentage points ahead. So it doesn't really. It's like I said, it's diversionary tactic. But James and I were mentioning um, before we started um, the podcast about all of these other things that you were mentioning, um, police brutality and the violence is basically a manifestation of all of those other issues. Yeah. Um, because with the school to prison pipeline, with the um, broken windows policies, um, you know, all of those other things, they need this militarized police force to right. keep black people and people of color in line. And then uh, one more thing, then we go to the second point, And that is, and uh, Maybe you might remember, but Fanon talked about this, right? Like, basically how when you have an oppressed people who are constantly dealing with oppression, that leads to intra-violence. 
like oh, I wish I can you remember the quote I know I don't know exactly but I'm pretty sure it's in Wretched of the Earth yeah it's definitely in and Wretched of the Earth he has a whole chapter on violence and on all kinds of violence right intra violence violence against violence is the only thing that will fully liberate you right because of, you know that if Fanon means that metaphorically or literally is up for question but the, the conditions of being colonized, and I know there's been a lot of work done that has compared African Americans to an internal colony. Right. A um, lot of stress factors involved there, and yeah, so it's 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 understandable, and I think expected that when you deprive people of opportunity and and saddle them down and hold them down and kind of right. segregate them through many policies and mm-hmm. economically segregate them, physically, geographically segregate them, that when crime emerges, it's not. It shouldn't be a right. surprise. It's not a surprise. No, and it, it, it ties into the people who are like, you know, well, violence isn't the answer. You know, that whole uh, that's another <laughs> that's issue, right? right. Uh, it's like, cute. okay, well, black on black crime. Okay, violence isn't the answer. You know, what it is jobs, schools. Um, you know, all of these other things that would stop what you were you and, and Travis were talking about, James. Here, all those other issues would definitely help alleviate. Um, some of the violence. Plus, we've got a country here where there are more guns than citizens. Right. Right? And so that's just a that's symptom crazy. of American <laughs> culture generally. Right. A this, is, this is the like yeah. the gun fetishizing center of the world. And yeah. so guns are everywhere. And like if 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 you want to deal with some of the crime and some of the guns on the streets, gun control right. would be the way to do that. Right. But we have, you know, the NRA and, and white gun owners right. who don't want to give up their gun rights. Mm-hmm. It, so, you know, these problems, some of these problems are not even rooted in race. Right. Issues, right? Yeah. Like some of these problems are just rooted in general American culture. American empire. Yeah. <laughs> when right. you just come in and just uproot Native American, Native American citizens and say, oh, we found a brand new area. Right. Oh, we just discovered something brand new. They never discovered this, yeah. Like, come on, your whole, the whole American story is one of violence. Right. Balance, thievery, Exactly. Well, see, I my my point went back to something else. Yeah. So, so actually, I, actually, I want to I want to introduce Terrell, and I want to introduce you, Shana. But one more thing. Because <laughs> um, the people that we doing. Yeah. No, I'm doing this on <laughs> purpose. On purpose. So one more thing. There are currently 38 recognized chapters, local chapters of Black Lives Matter, and then so even like and then there are unrecognized chapters. So Black Lives Matter Williamsburg, like we're going through the process of getting recognized. So again, when again, just dealing with the misconceptions, when people say Black Lives Matter, is I don't I, I feel like it's not they aren't really they don't really know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And and their interactions with a local chapter will look differently. Cause I mean and when I introduced Terrell, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but we had something to come up here in this area <laughs> where it's like seven five seven Black Lives Matter came up. And it was just like, hold on, like, what is this whole Black Lives Matter thing? So I just wanted to do that just to address the misconception. But let me reiterate Can another Can I throw point. in a, just a quick petty point for anyone who's listening? D. Ray McKesson is not officially a member of Black Lives Matter. Can we go there? Can we go? You know what? No, we, we, I'm going to give it to God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll do that off air, off air, off air, because I won't be that person to detract. I'm not, not saying that he's not, well, some people, anyway, not saying that he's not trying to do good stuff on his own. Yeah. Oh. Well, mm, well, yeah, exactly. So, arguably, so. arguably, depending yeah. on what side of the fence you come on, but, but he is not the leader of Black Lives Right, Black exactly, Black exactly. I think that's important. Exactly, that is very important. And so then the, the second point was, what I, what I want to transition to and bring in the 
do this transition. So basically, let me reiterate, all black lives. Let me say that again, all black lives. And the reason why this is important is because black lives matter centers those who are on the margins, right? Who Those who are on the margins in a neoliberal, capitalistic, racist, sexist, cis, sexist society, right? When we think about when we think about the issues, right, of being queer, I mean, of being that, both, there's no letters left, right? right exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, so I want to do this to be very explicit, and I and I started off with this. So I'm I am black, but I, I'm also a married man. Mm-hmm. So as a black married man with a family, I do have access to some privileges, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to be very upfront with that, and what I want to do, right? So when James first asked me about this podcast, I was like, you know what? I want to make sure I invite Tyrell and Shauna because they don't fall in the same category because me and Tyrell was talking one day and um, and there was, and I can't remember who it was, but it was a, another straight black male. And the straight black male was, again, perpetuating some of the same sexist, sexist problems. And I said, look, Tyrell, to keep it 100, if I wasn't talking to you, I probably would perpetuate those same problems. So I wanted to be intentional about about centering all black lives. Those so instead of just the um the use the historical sample, instead of just the Rosa Parks, but the Claudette Colvins, right? Mm-hmm. So, so people may not know about Claudette Colvin. Oh yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Claudette Colvin was a I guess she was like a fifteen year old or so right. teenage yeah. girl who had basically done the same thing that Rosa Parks did, refused to give up her seat on the bus, but because she was a, a pregnant, unmarried and her dad had girl, been in prison. Right. Yeah. The NAACP and the, 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 mm. the you know, weird. the respectability politics of the time deemed her not the appropriate vessel yeah. to, to right. carry that. And so they found this I believe Rosa Parks was a librarian, right? You know, she is she was the embodiment of a type of femininity that yeah. was marketable to white people in the 1950s. But even with her, to make her quote-unquote respectable, they really had to sort of strip away a lot of her fierceness. I mean, I don't think a lot of people yeah, know that's how true. bad ass Rosa Yeah, Rosa Parks was right. a cheat. What is she I doing? Mean, she cha- I mean, she chased off people from her grandfather's property with a shotgun. <laughs> she Not was anti-right. Some white bullies right. were picking on her, and she picked up a rock and threatened them. So they really I mean, you know, our own community created this image that is now of Rosa Parks that has kind of gotten out of control, right? So that we have a lot, I think what we run into with the Black Lives Matters movement is that they expect us to be passive, like some of the images that we've created, some of the images that they've created, um, without really knowing the story behind some of some of the people that are sort of the predecessors to these movements. So we were going to jump in on the... Like, okay, here's how this how I'll frame it. The figure of the black man is the figure that rallies the most attention. Right. Mm. And people think of Black Lives Matter and the the problem of police brutality as a problem against black men. Right. Mm -hmm. Even though we know of Sandra Bland, we know of Rakeia Boyd, we know of Corin Gaines from just this week. Some people do. And some people, and this has been, this has brought it back to the surface again because she's been getting dragged right. posthumously by Again. even some black people right for you know and I so there's there is a problem of representation yeah. uh, or 
how this gets represented, there's a problem. And like this is, I'm gonna put in a plug for one of our old episodes too. From I think it was in December, we did the Kara Keeling episode. Where we were reviewing mm-hmm. her book, the The Witch's Flight, and I forget what comes after the subtitle. Something about the figure of the Black Femme and Black Liberation. But she goes through in that book how even the Black Panthers, when the women became part of the movement, they had to both take on a kind of form of masculinity through their clothing and mm-hmm. their the guns and the, you know their afros and their like leather mm-hmm. jackets but then within the organization they were expected to be extremely domestic right. and mm-hmm. submissive yeah. to the men who were running that movement and this is yeah. part of the reason that Angela Davis left the Black Panthers because she wasn't having any of that mm-hmm. and so like this problem of black liberation always having to take the form of a black man even right. if it's a black woman putting on a kind of masculine-looking right. outfit like a Panthers yeah. gear and a gun. Um, so that's the plug. When you're done listening to this episode, go listen to the Check Cara Keeling one. But yeah. now that we're on this topic, let's yeah. uh, let's go there. Let's just yeah, go, there. Let's go there. Well, I think some of the reason that the black um, men, the, the focus is sometimes on the black men, does have to do with these ideas about masculinity um, and, and femininity. But also, uh, um, we do see a lot more stories about black men being um, brutalized or, or killed by police. And I think that there's something that's uncomfortable with everybody, black or white or, you know, person of color, with recognizing that a lot of the police violence that women face is sexual. A lot of sexual violence and rape and, and harassment. And we've seen how we, this overlaps with the rape culture. We see how women, yeah. especially with quote-unquote less than respectable um, backgrounds are treated. So yeah. some of the violence, um, you know, we see people getting shot on camera. We don't necessarily see the woman being raped or molested or propositioned or something like that. So that's, I think that's one of the reasons why it's not out there. But then it's also, you know, even with our own community, um, uh, um, elevating the, the status of, of the man and what happens to the male is sometimes considered a lot more, um, important if you address this issue everything else will take care of itself I think what do you think it makes me think of gender roles and how we position men and women and Mm -hmm. how folks and how folks outside of the gender binary do not are not included and so I think Mm -hmm. about all the times I've heard of granted it's not from police brutality and we talked about you you mentioned earlier Travis about how um the Black Lives Matter movement centers and focuses on more than just brutality, and I feel like as someone who is not only gender non-conforming, that makes me non-binary, that means I'm queer, I'm, I have all these different identities, and I feel like when I mm-hmm. think about the times when I hear about um, trans women being killed, mm-hmm. and how I hear about gender non-conforming folks being attacked and stuff like that, or, or being beaten, or abused, or raped, because that's a thing. Um, right. It's interesting, because I never see the rally and the and the and the and the defense and I never see people come to rise for those mm-hmm. folks right. and that's yeah. why and this is a critique I have of Black Lives Matter and I've had it for a long time I feel like part of my issue is that there can be this idea of all these different platforms that we support or that we fight for but I feel like at the end of the day I've never seen anybody rally for the for the for trans folks black GNC folks right. black queer folks because we're not included in those spaces so mm-hmm. even when we say when we say Black Lives Matter I feel like it, who's Black Lives Matter who's Black Lives are we talking about mm-hmm. because they're not mine and they're not my trans sisters and my trans brothers. They're not my non-conforming folks. They're not people that I see being killed daily as well. Mm-hmm. And I've always had that big critique, even though they have an entire platform saying that this is who they, who they support. Right. And an actual, not theory, but actual practice is not how it comes across. And that's right. not what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so I've always wondered about that. 
like what that what that would look like in actual practice. Right. Yeah. I've like never if seen there that. was as much outrage if uh, you know that the the average life expectancy for black trans women is only thirty five years. Yep. Right. So that pisses me off. Only thirty five years. Been, you know, as much as we do for the black men. Right. I'm on. So so like I'll be a little transparent. I'm thirty three years old right now. So that means to my black trans woman, they only have two more years to live. Mm-hmm. I, I saw, I forget, there's like 600 something trans. I might have the number wrong, but the, I saw some statistic the other day about how many trans murders there have been this year, which was in the hundreds, I believe. And it was just, again, it's one of those, like, it. You might see it in your news feed, right? right and you'll exactly. scroll by it, but it doesn't get the hashtag right. in the same way. The same way. And even Castillo like the hashtag say her name was out there for a while trying Ooh. to push right. you know, the other side of the gender binary at least into the spotlight a little bit more, mm-hmm. say her name. Um, I kind of I, I mean I don't know how I feel I'm all right. I yeah, I don't know how I feel about Hillary Clinton generally, right? But like I don't. I don't know how I feel about her bringing the mothers of the movement onto her convention either. And although I mean, I appreciate that relative to the GOP, there is a space. They're making a space on the list of checking, you know, checking off diversity boxes at the the DNC. But the way that that's phrased, the mothers of the movement. Again, we have this gendered way that like only the mothers of the movement have the moral like authority to talk about. Like, did these people have fathers and like? Now that can I sound like a Republican when I ask that question? Well, because right? that's what it, but they that's have other family, right? Okay. It's yeah. I mean they have other right. It's just it's always we always go to the mother to make the like moral case or something, mm-hmm. and even that is a. I know there's a history of this. This goes right. back to Emmett oh, Till's like mother. Like, like, isn't that like right. a, a, a historical context to that? There's a historical yeah. context. I mean, there's a, right? There's a historical context to this. But even that, I was like, I thinking again of like Kara Keeling saying that we never, even when we're pushing for liberation, we are always doing it within. We're, we're, we are pushing for race liberation within patriarchy's right. confines, right. which means we're not right. actually exactly. shaking exactly. anything. Well, and we'd rather see black women in mourning than black women angry. I have, mm. I have everything Ooh. to be angry about. Yes. Yes. I'm like, yes. Come through with that word. I need say lie. Come through with that word. That's why we had a problem with Sandra Bland. Right. Because she said she was angry. Right. Right. And Corin Gaines, I don't want to sorry, but like yeah. did you see the videos of Corin Gaines? Where they took them down? Yes. Oh, they did. She's ready. Like she was telling the cop, you know, not recently. She had recorded herself being pulled over, telling this police officer, "If you touch me, you better be prepared to shoot me today because we're gonna go at it." And the thing is, people are upset with her, but everybody wants to put pictures of Malcolm X up on the wall. And it's like she's basically saying the same (laughs) thing he is. You come at me, it is a self defense. So you either believe in it or you don't. You know. Anyway, there's a lot of stuff going on with corn beans, but so you mentioned historical context, Tyrell, and I want to bring in. I know Shana, Shana, excuse me, was going to talk about the historical context behind police brutality mm-hmm. and police right. as an institution. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people might, you know, people of a certain political persuasion might know some of this history about the police. Um, if you're an anti-capitalist, I know a lot of our listeners are anti-capitalists. Right. You know the police are out there serving and protecting property owners. Right. Right. But what kind of property becomes a race question too, when you get deep enough into right. history. 
Well, part of my um, study of citizenship and cultural citizenship is um, looking like uh, uh, Crenshaw talks about with whiteness as property. And it's easy to talk about, like, you know, skin color and whiteness as property, but... I you mean, mean Kimberly even, Crenshaw, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah, Kimberly Just so that listeners... Yes, Kimberly yeah. Crenshaw. Um, you know, whiteness as property, and how do you create whiteness other than looking at the white skin? It's with boundaries. Yeah. It's with physical boundaries. It's with ideological boundaries. And the police forces... Um, we're doing this um, based on blackness as property. Um, although that there were patrols and night watches and things like that before the slave patrols, um, a lot of scholars and academics will actually look at the slave patrols as the um, the immediate ancestor of our modern police department Mm, Um, because as they started to develop to protect white property and we saw them doing so many of the same things that we see the police doing now you would have black people out at night they'd basically stop and frisk right they'd have they'd kidnap black people and sell them into um slavery black free people and sell them into slavery what's the school to prison pipeline but you know modern day slavery so we see you know the black women who would get stopped would get raped or sexually harassed so we see a lot of the same things going on um but the power has now been expanded so while the police forces were sometimes um Mm. uh, local militia or um you know, you have the overseers, you have the local militias, and you sometimes have the city. The power began to be expanded and centralized. So, in some ways, it has changed. Um, but the slave patrols were basically the the um, precursor to the modern police department. In that, we're going to police the boundaries of whiteness by making sure that everyone else stays in line. And I'm not the first to say this. I don't think. But, you know, we talk about the police being law and order. The law is to maintain order, and the order is to keep non-whites in a certain boundary. It's mm. how we got pushed into ghettos with redlining. Wow. You know, it's how we get yeah. pushed into ghettos with economic um, issues. So it's how um, people aren't able to advance or, or, or get ahead with this um, constant just policing, not just somebody wearing a badge, but with surveillance, right, with all of these things designed to control behavior. Right, I would say, like, this isn't a question, and I think some of this, we have a problem in this society generally, in American culture generally, in post, well, in enlightenment, people who are still thinking they're working in the enlightenment, but that individualism, and so, like, mm-hmm. this idea of individualism wants us to then say, it's, certain cops are bad, right, not all exactly. cops are bad, cops. we, we have, we not don't, we don't have a good sense mm-hmm. of looking at, like, collectives right. and 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 structures in this country, right? So everything boils down to, is he or she a good cop or a bad right. cop? Is there a good person? They, their intentions are in the right place. Mm-hmm. This is not a statement about individual people. Right. This is a statement about the, the structure mm-hmm. and its formation over time of policing is inherently anti-black. Exactly. And, and it will never be anything other than that because that's, that's the structure. What it was for. So when people talk about reforming the system... I, I, what is there to right. There were plenty of black people on slave patrols, too. Right. And driver men on the plantations, right? So this is not a question, right? You don't have to be white to perform right. white I mean, supremacy. there's internalized racism, right? And then there's the institutional racism. So, so yeah, I don't know how they expect to reform a system. It's a, it's a system that just completely needs to be dismantled. I heard her. I heard <laughs> my words together. Um, so... I was thinking about that, too, in terms of, like, when I think about when we discuss... I'm trying not to put out how to say it. Like, when we, we, we talk about... Well, 
give me some a few seconds. I'm not <laughs> together. Okay, so when we're discussing the police, and we talk about inherently anti-black, and, and, well, being inherently anti-black and you know racist and stuff. And I think about when we talk when, when they have. Well, I've actually seen people like some police departments do campaigns where they mm-hmm. put out like these pictures of you know um, black folks in the community holding on to white officers and you know black oh, officers. And I think what does that? I wonder how people understand and perceive those pictures because I feel as though for me at the end of the day the, the to me the uh, the police as an institution is oppressive so mm-hmm. I can't side with my oppressor to get things done mm-hmm. um so me as a person I can't be like oh well you know um police are great police are awesome or whatever and and or or have my my opinion as me as a person saying that I as an oppressed person I, I can't work my oppressor that's just what I'm trying to say right. so I feel as though it's really difficult for me to watch black folks um, have these discussions and be like well you know everyone's not they're not all bad so why don't right. we you know side along with it but how do you side with how do you literally side with the person that puts you in jail that puts your folks in jail that right. oppresses your people that harasses your women that sexually harasses your own trans folks that sexually harasses, harasses black folks who you know kill us like how do you right. side with someone who literally demeans your your your, your humanity and I right. feel so it's confused like, about that. It's like barbecue and, oh, this is the beginning of healing. And I think Travis and I have talked about this before. And I'm like, healing? You haven't, you know, you haven't made this first step right. in healing. Why? What, I, what are you talking about healing? You haven't done anything. You've provided the, the charcoal and the flame, but you've been doing that for hundreds of years anyway. Mm. Mm. And you know what, though, right? That's they, they, when they do, when, <laughs> that was a good read. That was a read. When, when police have those, like, community barbecues and whatnot, right? Like, you see how the work is shared that, like, the black community has to actually come out to that cookout if there's going to be some mm-hmm. kind of discussion or dialogue that takes place there. Like, so it's not the police changing mm-hmm. their structure, right? right? It's, it's, it's everyone has to, like, it becomes the burden of the oppressed people to right. come out to the cookout in good faith exactly. and goodwill, which is, you know, I, slavery is the allegory for everything because post-emancipation studies, Afro-pessimism, another ha- another plug for an old episode <laughs> from last summer. Um, check out the Afro-pessimist one. But forms of domination have evolved and, and shifted and changed, but domination has not changed. That's right. been the kind exactly. of constant, ritualized, uh, you know, part of white supremacist culture in this country, right? And so these questions that you're saying, like, how can you side with the oppressor? There were people on plantations mm-hmm. who would have said, well, my, you know, my master's better than master so-and-so yeah, down the street. And that might have been a true statement in some way, right? Or there were slaves on the plantation who were actively engaged with promoting and preserving the master's mm-hmm. household. You know, or so, the Genovese argument. Right, you know, there's, there's, Genovese argument there's plenty of, there's, all, there's never been unanimity mm-hmm. amongst the black community that they were oppressed even when they were literally in the first stage of slavery, there were still black people. And when emancipation came, plenty of slaves who, right. And like, because they had their wings clipped their entire lives, they couldn't imagine Mm -hmm. what life was like outside of slavery. But you had plenty of people who were, you know, the majority of African-Americans wanted emancipation, but there was always a chunk Mm -hmm. that 
was okay and stayed behind on the plantation willingly after they were technically and juridically free. So, so like, and I, well, I, I want to throw in something right here. And this is, and I said this earlier, how, how I'm always cautious on how I respond to my fellow black brothers and sisters. Like, I always want to remind us, systemic racism is designed f- to do that. Mm-hmm. So systemic racism is designed for black people to be comfortable with their de- oppression. Right. And hegemony guess, needs everyone to participate. Yeah, and the know? thing that gets me upset about these these barbecues is that it would be great if they were getting together, hey, let's have a barbecue, let's sit down, let's talk about what what can be done to improve this. But they seem just more like photo ops. Right. So it's like, well, are you, you know, have you rooted out implicit bias in your police force? Right. Have you stopped the stop and frisk? I want to see numbers. I want to see stats. I want to see data, right. you know, that, that something is being improved because having a barbecue today doesn't stop the next person from being stopped. And I'm just thinking, like, how many barbecues and pictures did Darren Wilson take? Mm. Right. And I shouldn't have to prove my humanity <laughs> in order to be treated like a human. Right, that's, that's what you know, it comes I don't have to be your friend well. or, like, you know, say hi to you on the street in order to be treated like a because human. Because let's, I mean, like, I, the, there are innumerable cases of white people who brandish weapons and guns mm-hmm. to right. the police and they don't get killed. Mm-hmm. There was a car chase in San Diego the other night that went off for two hours. Mm-hmm. The police found a way to arrest that white woman alive mm-hmm. and take her in. The the standoff with the Bundy people out in mm-hmm. Oregon where right. they literally were in a federal building, a, you know, a, a park service building for a month shooting at the the, mm-hmm. the U.S. government. And, they, you know, they were all, one person got killed in a shootout that they started. Right. But that shootout didn't even end the standoff, you know, so they went back to the standoff for like another two weeks before they finally got them out alive. So, again, this this question of like, do you have to prove your humanity? White humanity is allowed to do so much and like never comes in the question that, you know, they are allowed to do things criminally Mm -hmm. and never lose their humanity. Or we've got Dylan Roof. Last summer right. after he shoots up oh the, the AME church in Charleston, right? Yeah, he gets Burger King. Right. right. And so, right, when you compare that to Corin Gaines, right. you know, this is a standoff that lasted, what, five hours Over tops? Traffic warrants. Over traffic warrants. And I also want to I want to throw in there, and I'm sure Terrell probably had the same experience. So, like, I grew up in the hood. And, like, growing up in the hood, police was completely antithetical to my being. Like, it's like, oh, no, they're going to popo. Oh no, they're going to cops. Like we would get this like deep stomach, this deep feeling in our stomach. It like, felt like it was oh. a game. It felt like they took pride in pulling over right. a certain per- a particular person more than one time. Because mm-hmm. I would pull over at, like maybe like four or five times in a week, and I'm like, "Are you all counting? Like, do you get prizes and do you get cookies for pulling me over more than one time? Like, is like a point system in place? Because it felt like I was a, a, a specific target." And it would be anywhere I would be, you know, in, in a, in like, you know, uptown, or I'd be downtown, or I'd be right. midtown. It didn't matter where I got put over that week, but it was like, this, it was, it was weird. It felt like it was a game for them. And it was the most uncomfortable experience to have, you know, a cop in your face and kind of taunt you with your freedom, taunt you with the, with right. the idea of, I want you to snap, because if you snap, I'm going to kill you. If you snap, right. I'm going to jail. If you snap, right. I'm going to kill you. I saw you to sell. a video last night from Alabama, and I don't, it was recently. I know exactly what mm-hmm. you're talking about, yeah. Cops enter this guy's house with no warrant, and mm-hmm. he's telling them, you don't have a warrant, you gotta leave, you gotta get out of here. And on the way out, after they, they call him boy, first of all, oh, and he calls them out for that, saying, I'm not a boy, I'm a grown man, which I think some of that feeds into why the figure of the black man is the figure that always gets put up first for liberation because white men 
don't recognize the masculinity of black Black men, and so they want to call them boys. Mm -hmm. And so part of that correction becomes overcorrected, right, Mm -hmm. where we forget everyone else because we're trying to make sure that black men are called men, not boys. Mm -hmm. That is an important point. But but then after that taunt, the cop says, hands up, don't shoot. Yes. As he's walking out the door so, of this yeah. guy's house that he went into without a warrant without in the first warrant. place, right. right? So this taunting game stuff, mm-hmm. he was definitely taunting him. And, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. No, and can we talk about how these videos are basically, and, and again, I'm not the first one to say this, lynching postcards? God! Right, right. Oh, and why right. people continue yes. to share them? Because right. not uh. only, so Travis and I have both decided that we don't, we don't share them anymore. Right. Yeah, I don't share. Wait, Make it a third. the thing that gets me I is that one, <laughs> when, when people started sharing these at first, I'm like, finally, people are going to see Sweet. what happens. And then now, though, it's just, it's it's gone up a different level. Now you see what happens, and instead of saying, like, oh, wow, that is just messed up. Now we hear, well, we don't know what happened before. Right, exactly. Right, well, we, I need more, more proof. I need mean, more information to, uh, to explain the cause of why the person did X, mm. Y, and Z. Yeah. No, absolutely not. And I think it's difficult, too, as an activist or a person that already does the work. I don't have to see the killing to know that yeah. it's right. dead. I don't have to right. see white supremacy. I don't have to see capitalism. I don't have to see it, see it in action to know that it's there and that I need to be fighting those right. things. So it's really difficult for me as someone who already does the work to have to see my folks consistently be killed and then have yes. people share it and ask questions like oh well I wonder what they did or we don't have right. all the information right. I'm looking like did you right. did you have you been missing history have you been missing right. the last couple of years of, of black folks lives in general like how we've how we've what we've been experiencing like how would you why would you ask the question think it's, it's justified I'm and not yeah, so I've, I've stopped sharing it just because it doesn't it again it doesn't show anything about black community um it, it really is just another way for them to excuse and and to justify black death. And I I just I don't I'm not going to be a dealer of lynching postcards anymore. I want to be petty, but I, I have. I just I do okay. want to do a plug though, and I'm sure y'all talked about this in a previous ep- episode. But Saida, um, hold on, the scenes of subjection. Yes. By Sai Idea Hartman. Mm-hmm. She, we talked about her in the Afro Pessimist episode. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. yeah. Plug it in. So plug it again. Go back. Because, so now you have two more episodes to listen to after this one. Because that 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 when she talks about on a slave box hearing the basically the shouts of the slaves mm-hmm. that were basically that the white slave masters and the traders just completely disregarded. To me, like that's just like stamped into my mind to see black suffering, to see black pain, and then just for white people to, to disregard it as if it's nothing. And that's what happens, and that's what I'm thinking is happening every time a video is shared. Once again, black people are suffering, and white people are like, oh, it's nothing. Yeah, there's a real, there's a real, there's a, again, this is, this is a history, everything has a historical context, and slavery is the allegory for everything, because from the inception, if you will say, right, that black humanity was always negligible. If they had it, it was a diminished form. Mm-hmm. But, like, the black body then becomes this grotesque spectacle mm-hmm. right. that's both sexualized and then also abjected. Mm-hmm. Black bodies, like, these myths, even, like, there's been studies done recently that medical students think that black people that. Don't, don't need as much, much right. do you know, was, anesthesia as white people. I was thinking about Sarah Bartman. Yes. Sarah that's Bartman. exactly where I went, because yeah. I was thinking, like, you know, to see witness the way black especially black women it's mm-hmm. quite as kept especially right. black women the way their bodies are perceived mm-hmm. and treated and the way they're dehumanized and sexualized and fetishized but also 
and it's regarded to be women that they they're seen as you know some people, women are seen as black women are seen as masculine they're seen as not actually women because they don't mm-hmm. fit into right. white femininity so they yes. don't fit into the idea right. of what of what of what womanhood looks like right. and so I think it's really interesting when you talk about it because it's like seeing seeing black women become spectacles mm-hmm. in your own eyes. And these are even in videos when you see like the interaction of black women with white cops. Like where you see like right. these, and I've never watched Sandra Bland's video all the way through. But I've yes. seen the at least the first beginning part to see the interaction. It was so uncomfortable to realize that it looked like she was just a human rag doll. There was no right. there was no humanity. There was no there was no scene as there was no there was nothing there to protect There's her. The cop sitting on the fifteen year old throwing her to the right. The, the, that, oh, that, 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 right. You, when I saw it, that's the last time. That's the last video. Like she's I watched. a rag doll, right? Charlie's angel role. He does across the thing to tackle her and then sit on top of this that. Tiny that was a breaking point. For her. Right. That was in her bathing point. suit. I mean, and it gets back right. to black children cannot be children. Right. right. They right. are right. Tamir Rice is this Tamir Rice was twenty years old. Right. Twenty years old. No. He was 12 but to right, white right. to but white I, gaze he looked 20 to the white gaze michael brown was charging right even this, after he had been shot a few times he's he-man right? right he can just keep taking bullets and move like they they he, have that was that he did a grunt and like he was gr- the right, language they, right a demon demon a right and just this, these types of this black types people of are always either animals or superhuman in their right. strength their physical prowess yeah. like black athletes yeah. are superhuman but we but and we need to be superhuman in our emotions we're supposed to immediately forgive we're supposed <laughs> yeah, to not be angry so true we can be angry we, yeah. we can't be angry we're supposed to and we're just supposed to pray for peace right. so we're supposed to we're, we're supposed to just be quiet peaceful docile docile so okay <laughs> for two <laughs> two books that are okay oh, here's the first one jennifer morgan's book laboring women is about yes. slavery yes. but she's got a, a section in there that when european uh, english explorers first went to west africa mm-hmm. some of them write about the women suckling their babies while they're working working in fields and like just throwing their breasts over their shoulders and stuff so immediately like before they're even enslaved like this is in Africa you have white people white men looking at black women's bodies and being like well they could work and give birth at the same like all the, the the tropes of like dainty femininity which are problematic for white women too right but black women never had dainty femininity they were sturdy stock of them you know this stereotype i mean the over and the hyper sexualization sexualization of these black women's bodies from the people who went to west africa and who were recording these things you know they were taken as as truth Mm -hmm. and so it was one of these things that um you know is perpetuated i like um oh gosh sister citizen um What's uh, uh, the Harris no, sorry, Yeah, that's a really good one. It talks about the stereotypes that are attributed to Black women. But just one thing, I um, I teach a workshop on cultural humility and for nursing students and um, with LGBTQIA patients and patients of color. And so much of it, it comes back to what you were talking about with the residents. These are people who've had extensive medical experience and practice who think that Black people don't feel as much pain. Think the Black people's skin is thicker. Not only that, but you see these um the ramifications of these types of things and i do think this is a type of violence that urban pharmacies carry um fewer painkillers than pharmacies in the suburbs because doctors don't tend to prescribe um larger doses or refills to black patients Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. our pain levels and our tolerance of pain is considered less so that type of stuff not just infiltrates how we deal with police but our hospitals um schools all of those types of things and it just comes back to our bodies right and talk about a racialized 
body. Right, exactly. And uh, yeah, a body that is stripped of personhood. Right. So then it becomes excessive, right? The body yeah. becomes excessive because it doesn't have an inner dimension that anyone cares for. Although, yeah. to the other last thing, the other book plug that mm-hmm. touched on what you were saying, Travis, um, Toni Morrison. Toni Morrison is a wonderful, fantastic novelist, yeah. but sometimes she writes literary theory, mm-hmm. and she has a book called Playing in the Dark, Whiteness and the Literary mm-hmm. Imagination, mm-hmm. where she looks th- from literature, but it, you know, it's, it's wider than just literature. At all of the many uses that black, or that the figure of the African, I think she, or the, the, she has this word that she comes up with that represents both Africans and then black people, the figure of like the Africana figure or something. Mm-hmm. But the many uses that white people put this to, and one of them was, right, like black and I even think this with, I'm calling Hillary out, I guess, a couple times here in this podcast, but she had Reverend Barber oh, um, yes. give a speech, a wonderful, fantastic speech, where he comes out at the convention and is just <laughs> slamming down a list of social justice, right? But I was thinking to myself that that his moral authority was half-rooted in him being a black preacher from the South. And it's the cadence of the black preacher's Mm -hmm. voice that gives a moral weight to his message in a way that a white person giving that message couldn't carry. Or, going back to the slavery allegories, right? Big Mama on the plantation. Mammy was also the moral center. She could sometimes, in a playful way, spout off and smart off but if she had the moral authority, she would, right? If she was raising the white kids and would teach them moral lessons, and you see Jim Crow Southerners writing about their mammies mm-hmm. and all those things they learn from mammy about, like, life and ethics and stuff. Yeah. And so it's like, whoa, the same people that you abject mm-hmm. and are horrified and don't want to miscegenate mm-hmm. with, right? You're trying to keep your blood mm-hmm. pure and all. But then at the same time, you turn to black spirituals, and black religiosity and like the black moral voice is like the soul of America, literally like soul music, right? Like, so we are the soul of this country too. And that is like this weird, how is it both? Mm -hmm. Because it isn't logical because it's, it's part of a, a, a a warped logic of whiteness, right? right? That can use the same people to be the, the soul and the moral heart of this country. And and then also reject it, reject us in everyday practice. What did you think of his message? I'm gonna give it to God. <laughs> you know, I've been very cautious because I feel as though this be my first podcast ever. Yay! I want to be very careful, like, because I had an actual thought. So we talked about this earlier. I'm gonna bring it up now, really quick, because we kind of we didn't really touch on it, but we touched on it earlier. It was like the we talked about like Black Death, and as quiet as it's kept, Sean King's entire Twitter page, Facebook page, is a page of Black Death. Mm. There are other activists. Who do the? He did an air, oh, air quotes there. Can't see me. Can't see me. Activists in right. quotes. There are a lot of other activists who use the idea of black death to not only gain fame and fortune, but to gain notoriety. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that Sean King isn't doing some good things, but that is to say that when you're when you're using black death as a tool to gain fame and notoriety, but also to gain, you know, to gain other resources it, it it makes me it it reminds me of that reminds me of but i see a lot of the same things i see in like in like the movement itself so i don't know if sean king uh, uh, um aligns himself with black lives matter movement because i don't pay that much attention to him but 
Oh, that was shady. <laughs> but, but I do know that his, the way that he treats, and I don't know if everyone sees like his Twitter feed or his Facebook feed where he's like, where he's like, came for black women or he's came for like black femmes, and I'd be like, but you're trying it still? Because those are the folks that are on the front lines fighting for, for fighting right. for, for straight cishet black men. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're, you're, you forget, but they're there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these movements and these spaces are led by black femmes, black women, um, black GNC folks, black queer folks. And a lot of folks tend to forget that. So he reminds me of, he, there's his personal idea, but like there's, there's this overarching idea of black cis, of what a black cis head man to be looks like. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times they're the very things that, that I feel like I've seen embodied. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to separate the two in terms of fighting, fighting for someone who doesn't see you. Right. And then also having to stay quiet and be docile about the fact that, 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 that there's no respect and there's no, mm-hmm. There's no, there's no respect, and then there's also no support. Right. And so Sean King reminds me of a lot of those things. If I, when I see when I see his his Twitter feed where he reacts with black films, black women, whatever, I see his, I see all of those things embodied in the black cishet man embodied in him. Mm-hmm. Granted, he's black cishet, but I mean, it's interesting. Is he black? No, I'm kidding. Oh, I'm ooh, kidding. Don't, kidding. Don't, don't, I don't believe. I don't so, believe. So so I right do want to make sure. Oh, I do. Black-Sean-King-You-Black-You-Black-Yeah-I-Know-We-Get-It-Going-Yeah-But-I-Do-Want-To-Make-Sure-That-We-Say-This-Word-Intersectionality-So-Let's-Make-Sure-We-Say-
Right, exactly. No, and folks love to erase that. As if he wasn't the backbone for Martin Luther King Jr. Can we be real? Right, can we? So actually, that was my point of giving y'all this list: Asada Shakur, Audrey Lord, and Angela Davis. Again, Audrey Lord. She was lesbian, feminist, mother, poet, um, warrior poet. Anti-capitalist. Anti-capitalist. Yes. So I bring these these figures up right here at this point of the discussion to say, one, to remind, which I already brought up, that they were queer folks. But also that a, a part of the movement actually is this question of, when we look at black liberation movement, what does liberation look like? And the one overarching question a lot of people are dealing with is this. Do we need a complete overthrow of that capitalistic system, or can we work within the system? I can't. Before, I, no, I can't work within the system. But before we you get can, there, because you again, again, you can't work with your oppressor, right? And I feel like before we go into that, because I feel like folks, depending on who listens to this podcast, I've listened to a few shows, so I become a fan. But yeah. regardless of outside of that, I feel like depending on who listens to the show, there may be questions of like, oh, well, how can you be black and critique Black Lives Matter? I feel like. That's something we need to address because I feel like as black people, we do have the right to critique ways that we're trying to find liberation. Exactly. Yeah. So that means just because we have critiques and we're talking about things we issue, things we find issue with or things we've noticed, that doesn't mean that Black Lives Matter isn't a solid movement or foundation. Right. right. And so, I'm wearing a t-shirt that says Black Lives Matter on right, it right, right, to now. right. To be clear. Right. To be clear. Right. So it's like, right. Right. Like, we're also, all on team hashtag BLM. And also to remind time, folks that at the beginning that Black Lives Matter is different uh, in different locales so there isn't one particular overarching i just want to throw this in these groups this platform comes from the movement for black lives which is a coalition i'm just going to name some of these names of this coalition black alliance for just immigration black youth project 100 project south southerners on new ground philadelphia student union alliance for educational justice color of change black lives matter network network they network you say it network Dream Defenders, Baltimore Block, Freedom Incorporated, Organization for Black Struggle, Blackbird, Highlander. There are like 30 more of them, right? So this is not just one organization. Yeah. There are many. This is a hydra-headed monster. And I'm saying monster because I want white people to be afraid of this movement. There you go. Because we are coming, not white people. I want whiteness to be afraid. And if you are a person who performs whiteness... Stop performing right. it. Well, you know how white folks take take stuff shit, take shit personally. So you know, I'm like, well, he's talking about me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no. Girl, if you perform system, whiteness, then I'm talking system. about you. If you don't perform it, it's not. Then I'm not you. talking about you. Right. Well, and, and to get back to what um, Terrell was saying too is that for those of us who are critiquing the movement, we're not saying, oh, it's not working, or I don't agree with that, and stepping back. We're out there doing something about right. it. So it's fine to critique something as long as you're doing it to doing something to make it better or adjusting the change that you want to see. But if you're going to critique it and wipe your hands and sit back and say, well, right. I don't exactly. agree with that, we're not, right. we're not doing some social media, Facebook, right? No. Well, yeah. that's, to be clear, that's important. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, it, is. it is. It is. It is. It is. I definitely do that a lot too. So, but to say that I was going to add on to that. So we actually have a local Black Lives Matter Williamsburg chapter. To be clear, so these this conversation is also shaping our local chapter. So just so y'all know that people in in Williamsburg, if you're in the Black Lives Matter chapter, you got to listen to this podcast. <laughs> so you, you better plug. <laughs> so, so y'all better plug make everything. And and, and so y'all know, like I intentionally brought into real. And what we're going to do, so we don't perpetuate the same problems. We're having shifts in leadership. So Travis, the the cis black male married person isn't always going to be in charge. We have shifts in leadership, so there is not going to... I'm, I'm not going to keep perpetuating the same problems. So, yeah, so... 
So the, so yeah, so the conversation and like like you were bringing up James. So I, I want to hear. I want to have this conversation. What do we do with this system? Do we operate within the system? See, this is do we master's tools? Well, see, I'm right. looking at the some of the as we scroll back up, right? Yeah. So I'm looking at some of the actual demands, and I like I have questions for some of them because I actually read in very much detail reparations, invest, invest, mm-hmm. divest, and um. The end of the world on black people. Those were the three I read in yeah. full detail. And I read political power. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't. Look, <laughs> <laughs> look I'm gonna take my time. I'm yeah, that's right. I'm not gonna lie. Okay, yeah. so the invest divest, I agree with it, but I feel like there are black businesses who purposely, and I'm not gonna say no specific hair care product folks who I know, you know, companies that have mm. the face of a black person, but they're not actually, you know, hiring black folks. And there are right. also, I feel like, if we're gonna invest economically in our folks, I need black folks like with their businesses to actually one be willing to sell to black folks I feel like there are a lot of black businesses who purposely don't who do don't market their, their things to black people um, who take our culture like white folks do and then re, you know take our culture turn it into something and sell it for profit mm-hmm. and it's not sold to us it's sold to other folks who enjoy our culture but don't enjoy us mm-hmm. so There's I've noticed that right, I know, right, right and, and it's not capital. working and then I also noticed that there are folks who may sell their product but I feel like it's not a decent product it's, and, and, and as quiet as it's kept I support black businesses who give me a decent product. I have no problem supporting <laughs> you and give you my money as long as my product is decent. And it, and you laugh, but the reality is that some 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 of these businesses come up with products that are in theory very well, very good ideas, but in practice are terrible. Yeah. So you buy them, and you know you're giving. Forty, fifty dollars to support this black business guy. Your product, your product, product is terrible. The customer service has been terrible, or the the relation with those folks have been terrible. And that's a that's not necessarily a societal thing. That's, that's an inter community kind of thing. Right. But I still feel like that's something that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Like it does. Divest is cool. I agree. With you. But I agree. But again, like I, I'm gonna keep saying this. Like I'm I'm always gonna defend my black brothers and sisters. And I know because. And I'm going to plug HBCUs. I love HBCUs. I went to HBCU. Like, when I went to HBCU, like, in my office, there were, like, three people working for 500 students. So I just say that to say, like, we have challenges. Black businesses have challenges where, like, it's hard to get a loan sometimes. I'm aware. It's like, so, like... Well, that's... And that's the... I mean, like, I forget the statistics, but Roland Martin had a show. Uh, Roland Martin on News One has the numbers, so you can Google Roland Martin, yeah. small business or whatever, loans, that since the economic collapse, right, so black wealth in this country, we, black people lost 40% of their net wealth at the 2008 collapse, mostly mm-hmm. because most black wealth was in mortgages mm-hmm. and in houses. And so when people lose their houses, they lose their wealth, which we're going to get to this in a second. This wealth thing ties into reparations, right? But the Small Business Loan Association, or SBA, the Small Business Association, has not been loaning small business loans to black Lend, lease lendees or like you know people requesting loans at the same rate right. that they yeah. lend to white and right. non-black people of color right. and so like there again is like a systemic problem that right. like perhaps if we were getting the same equal Resources. number of small business loans mm-hmm. you would have more startups or more black businesses going but this whole right there's so many yeah that's what I'm saying so there may be that white times so Chavis you're the person that we try to have a, we go try to have a conversation in the community you're going to want to be like but don't forget so yeah. we can't have an honest conversation you're no no I'm saying like, no, what, what no I'm not what is this no I'm happening? saying I'm What's saying happening? I'm saying that some black businesses may have some challenges right so if that black person is the one that's having a challenge not talking to them correct I feel like if you like if we're so having you, so you're saying that 
there could be so I don't it might be harder to be, to talk about specific black businesses but I'm trying to give out names yeah I know I know that's why it's hard so that's what I'm saying so we can push it out but this is good this is good so we can see so we can have both ends of the conversation so on one end no I'm saying I want black I want black businesses to be excellence. I want them to operate in excellence. I mean, it's not just you, it's me as well. Yeah, no, I'm like, saying, I'm saying I agree. No, yeah, I, okay, I got you. <laughs> I'm just saying I agree with you, but I also want to throw in that we we have we could be challenged. Right. I'm like, I'm not gonna critique critique people and then not buy black because that's stupid to me. Like I'm not gonna give a critique of something that I don't do. Yeah. So I feel like for me to say, you know, I buy I buy black and I do most a lot of stuff actually. Um well, I'm not poor because I'm in college, but you know, outside of that, yeah. <laughs> I try, like, I'm not going to give a critique of something like this and not, you know, and I feel like that was, to me, that was inherently stated. Like, that was inherently a thing. Like, I didn't, I didn't think I had to say that we okay. had problems getting well, I'm, whatever. I'm like, so that was, I that would, was, so to let you know I'm coming from, I'm thinking about the listeners and I'm thinking about what? some listeners That's might just be too. like, they're not even thinking about if they're going to be like challenge resource. They're going to just be like, oh, y'all black businesses, y'all ain't even going to do y'all part, right. so I'm not even going to shop right. there. You're right. <laughs> you're right. All pieces get me together because you're right. <laughs> true, true. So I got one last point that I'm going to throw out about the reparations plank of this because that's the, that's never going to happen. Let's just put it straight I, out there. Exactly. It's never going to happen, but. That's the point I was going to make too. It's just, but, it's not going to happen. And I almost we don't can... want it to because. That is like the red button or something. Like reparations gives us all of the, like, it is our leveraging tactic. Mm. And this is what I'll say about it, right? And a little little note of history here, a little digression, but not really. But bear with me, right? I think some of this problem, if you trace out, and I, this is, I can only speak on this point. Well, I can speak about Latin American slavery, but that is not applicable here. <laughs> uh, I'm going to only speak about British North American slavery, whether that's the United States, whether that is the Anglophone Caribbean. But at the end of emancipation, or at emancipation, you had a coordinated movement to push the freedmen, and there's your, there's your gender, right? The freedmen oh, yeah. and women, everything. Lovely. The free folks, <laughs> to push them into wage labor and not allow them mm-hmm. to become a peasantry and own their own land and just kind of work for themselves and live off the grid or like just be like white folks were in the 19th century were like on a farmstead right so when you have the need capitalism and there's a lot of work that's been done on this eric williams is an old english in the british world he's from the caribbean historian of this that says like cap Slavery was only abolished because capitalism had gotten so mature to the point where the free capitalist free labor was going to do a better job at this than slavery. And so, right. like, then the abolitionist movement is able to, like, crest. And at least in Britain, it's a legislative abolition. In the United mm-hmm. States, right, it's, it's a war. But in both cases, though, you have slave former slaves not being allowed to work small plots of land as a peasantry or if you want to use a marx term as a proletariat right or they become a proletariat instead of being a peasantry they are pushed into wage labor because capitalism wants them as a labor source of capital for the industrial revolution and so that becomes part of why black wealth was never able to be accumulated. You don't have anything to pass down. And then at the same time, though, in the 19th century, you have, after the Civil War, the United States is in the West fighting the Indian Wars, stealing Indian land because we have all these European immigrants coming, 
and they need land, and then they're giving it away. Like, right? like white people were being given land mm-hmm. for free, immigrants, as long as you just get out their homestead act. You just get out on the land that we just stole from the Apache, say, and just, it's yours now. Meanwhile, black people were not allowed to participate in the Homestead Act, and they are forced into sharecropping arrangements where they are working for their same old master. And so, just imagine, right? Like, if black families were able to participate in the Homestead Act, and I'm not saying that, like, it's right for them to take land that wasn't theirs either, but putting that to the side, you would have had a couple hundred years or 150 years of black families accruing wealth. Mm -hmm. And that's just from that one jump. All the other problems that come along with when black folks did get wealth, you can look at Tulsa, Oklahoma. Is it Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1920 or 1921? Black Wall Street? Destroyed. Uh, Rosewood in Florida. We have the Wilmington, North Carolina massacre. I mean, any time... Black wealth starts. Black to wealth started to accumulate. White mm-hmm. and, and jealousy and right. bitterness, uh, you know, and because they are also being screwed over by the capitalist system too, right? So poor right. white people. That's where we had the New York draft riots, where it started as the draft riot and then turns into a race riot. Um, but you know, it's one of these things where you know it's like, oh well, my family did this on my own. I never had help. I'm like, oh yes, you did. <laughs> you, right. you had. You, did, you didn't have redlining. So much you help. Yeah, hundred years. You were able help. to get loans. Um, I. Think you're floating in the tide of whiteness, right? Exactly. Like you, the tide is rising you without you was realizing. The GI Bill, was the GI Bill? GI Bill not available, not available to black. Rate? Um, so so, so many things. opportunities. At so many times in this, our country's history. There, there could have been interventions right. that could have made this right. And the closer it would have happened to slavery, the better it would have been in that you wouldn't have had such a problem now well, yeah. to try to correct. So the reparations in 21st century is like, how are we going to do that? Yeah, because yeah. it's a huge problem that has... 150 yeah. years of yeah. ongoing yeah. history. Right, especially when Reconstruction turned into a humanitarian crisis. You know, I mean, um, and then you have, you finally have um, black people getting into government positions, trying to get jobs moving up, and Woodrow Wilson, is it, comes in and kicks all of them. Was it Woodrow Wilson? Oh, I'm not sure. Kicks Probably. all of them out of their federal jobs and government jobs. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. So resegregating. Yes, right. federal right. government so and the military. Reconstruction, and then you have Wilson. And reconstruction so, in air quotes. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> the destruction of reconstruction. Right. So um, black people have really never had this um, this ability. They've had the capabilities. Right, we are capable of doing it. We have never been able to accumulate the type of wealth that whiteness—not white people, but whiteness—has been able to accumulate. Good right. job of So that's what, yeah. I, so I'm this so reparations plank, I like that is the argument because, in a nutshell, reparations represents all of the troubles that have right. been done, and like that's not even talking about the 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 payments for work right for right. 200 years of slavery right. before right i'm not even like i'm willing to chalk all that up and say whatever just give us our land in 1865 1866 1868 sherman's field orders for 40 acres and a mule right i mean like that's not <laughs> perfect but that would have been such a tremendous leverage like if every black person had gotten 40 acres mm-hmm. and a mule or every black family got 40 acres in 1870 
and had not had to deal with white people trying to steal it from them the whole time, we'd be in such a different position today. Mm -hmm. Because you look at all the other immigrant groups in this country that have moved in and have uh, have moved into the middle class in a well, like, without a problem. And, 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 like, then it looks like black people... Right, it becomes an issue of like they're lazy. They don't work. We're not. We're not putting in work. We're not what we're supposed to be doing. I'm glad right. you said that it's, because so often we hear, "Well, how come you know your uh, your people have never been able to get ahead?" I'm like, "Well, because everybody else built their wealth on our backs." You know, right, right. right. They're standing on our shoulders, climbing up that ladder. Oh, the truth. So <laughs> I think the reparations plank. If we don't start all of our conversations in the kind of reparationist mode, then we're not actually talking about the problem. But do you mean reparationist mode, understanding, like you said, when you started that, that we're not going to get it, but understanding why when people say get over it, why we say we can't. It's 2016 right. and we and, can't because these And true justice happening. would be reparation. Okay. The repair of the breach, yeah. as right. Sidia Hartman uses that phrase, yeah. right? To, the, to, you know, to stem that breach. Mm-hmm. And like, so... We can talk about if we're not going to get that as the perfect ideal, but we want to work towards that. And I think if we work towards a repair, we need to repair damage. That gets us a lot further than just starting at a legislative agenda or starting with political power. Because like even the political system, whether you're white, black, polka dot in this country, it's rigged and it ain't working right. for you. And so like so starting throw, there is like, what are we gonna do? Right? Game, can I throw, there is going, no political power. So I actually, I, and I did look at the political um, tab, which was really good political power. And one, just to reiter- reiterate, like running from office is going to fix our problems. Like that's been. That's been a mantra, and a lot of people have been pushing for that. A lot of or vote as quiet as kept to vote because that'll fix our problems too. Which, like I vote right, and especially this year, right? Just right. vote sounds like the biggest. Right. I feel like who who with, I got my head up my ass if I think just voting is going to do something right, right? right. Because I, like we mm, Lord, but 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 that's, that's a whole other conversation. But because I would say uh, this though, a lot of people because like randomly people ask you, oh, so Travis, like you're like it seems like you're doing some great things. Are you going to run for office? No, I don't see <laughs> running for office as addressing issues. And and but and and looking at their tab on political power. Like, this is real good because they're talking about, again, political prisoners, Asada Shakur. And that's a, 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 and, and I'm glad they're bringing up, they're bringing, again, these people on the margins. People aren't talking about Shakur that much. Asada Shakur. Except for much. Chris Christie trying to get Cuba to extra. Right, right. What about the for that? Or calling her by her her slave name, as yeah. she refers to it. In, at the RNC two weeks ago, right, Miss right. Chesman, Joanne Chesman, yeah, I was like, "Who's that? that? talking like, about?" Who's that? <laughs> yeah, I was like, who's that? I was like, "Okay." But again, so just remembering, so politically remembering our um, political prisoners, remembering them, and not putting our hope in right. our political office to so get our freedom. I have two questions for that. Um, then, what do you think? And they may tie in together. What do you think about Derek Bell's the interest convergence and that? that progress, that civil rights, civil justice is not going to be made unless it's going to be in the best interest of white people. I mean, and it's not that he agreed with it, but he's like, the only time we've ever had progress mm-hmm. is when something has the tipping points when white people were like, I'm sorry, whiteness was like, um, yeah, well, you know what? It, it seems like we really kind of need to change things. You know, the whole civil rights is because stuff that we were doing here, but also this doesn't really look good. 
know, right, really, honestly, I mean, like, I know, right, it's, this is not to diminish what black people were doing in the 20th century. But right, exactly, was, that's the thing. Nazi Germany is the civil rights movement's best friend, because if it wasn't for the Nazis exterminating Jews, and then, like, white Americans being like, ooh, that's hitting a little close to home when you start exterminating the races, and you find out that the Germans were actually borrowing a lot of their tactics uh-huh. in From the 30s, mm-hmm. when they were segregating Jews in the ghettos, they were borrowing tactics from the Jim Crow system. So, if it wasn't for that, I don't know if it if you would have got enough white people bought in that we need to do something in the United Actually, States. Actually, there, again, think? historical context is the war always led to America questioning their own values. Right. But, go ahead. but what do you? So, what do you think? Then, do you think that we make progress thinking, okay, whiteness is going to do its thing, and we need to do our thing as a people because we can't depend on them to t- change their structures? What is that? So I think I think we need to continue forging ahead, continue fighting against what's at the what we was usually putting at the center. I think just continuing to say, look, that black 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 people. <laughs> I mean, like we. But can, what does it mean, though, Travis? I mean, what does it mean to say keep forging ahead? And I mean, how do you envision this? For me, I think first of all, we have it. It's for me. I find it really hard to work with folks who uphold white supremacy. So when I think about that, I think about moving forward, I think about understanding what white supremacy can make. Like, it, takes, it takes very different forms, as we all know. Yeah. It comes in very different forms from very different people, including some black folks. Um, and I feel like I've learned that, not I've learned, but the way I see it is that moving forward is one, diversity from white supremacy, capitalism, all this stuff, which, which the Black Lives Matter folks touch on. But also, to me, it's also knowing, uplifting our own people. I've noticed that a lot of folks in this movement have become so obsessed with like what allies and what they can do to help empower us what they can do to do their job like how we can keep them you know on our side i feel like they're not at the end of the day regardless of whether or not i get liberated or free we're not right we're not mad right we're not matter to sally Susie, whoever else it won't matter to them like it won't matter to white folks because they're already free they're already enjoying a, a level of resources a level of of privilege a level of something that i can't attain ever like period so for me i don't have time to worry about white allies and white folks trying to come into spaces and be supportive i need to worry about educating my folks and my people so right. when we move forward as a group it's a it's not and we don't have necessarily be unified as one but we need to at least be on the same page about like what that looks like yeah. or what how is it going to work like i came up within the system so i know for a fact to move forward that i wouldn't want to try to fix the system i want to burn the system down I don't want to keep the system. Right. And there's very few folks that think like that, but that's the reality. That's how I see it moving forward. Is how do you, how do you destroy the system? How do you deconstruct the system? And what does it look like when we finally get free? And, and I, and I would say that like a lot of people don't realize this, but like black lives matter is, is so simple, but black lives matter is really just proclaiming that black people are humans. Like just, and I can tell y'all in my own interactions, when I say, let's just focus on black people. I get this, huge like blastback of like oh well what about this and what about that i mean just again case in point all lives matter like simply this is crazy that we've come to this point in 2016 but saying that we're going to focus on black people is radical saying that black people are human beings is radical and i and i know that sounds simple and, and and people might disagree with that point but i can tell you based on like all of my studies all my work in activism and all that I've been going forward with, like, just focusing on that, 
is radical. So so me even me just saying forging ahead and just to back up what Tyrell saying, saying that my black people are beautiful, that my black people have the ability to think and reason that Thomas Jefferson had no idea what he was talking about. Yes, I'm coming at Thomas Jefferson on Wimmer Campus. And I went to UVA right. to say he didn't know what he talk he was talking about. Well, I yep. Mean- <laughs> yeah, just so just to go against that, to, and it's sad that we're at this place in 2016. So yeah, forging ahead to to uh, to um to say blackness is beautiful, to to just um, I guess to um I'm, I'm thinking about affirm. Yeah, just to affirm blackness. So I think that's that's a good note to end this conversation on. Black blackness is beautiful, yeah. right? And you help set up. Another plug before an episode that we haven't even <laughs> recorded yet, but we're going to be having an Afrofuturism episode coming up. So you want to like, oh, how do we envision what Black um, Liberation looks like? Yeah. We start getting into a, an interesting place of imagination. So right. when, stick around, stick around, listeners, for that one. Um, probably in a couple months we'll get the Afrofuturist episode going. But I want to thank our guests Tyrell Cooper, Travis Harris, Shauna Haynes. Any closing statements beyond "Black is Beautiful" or? Anything to plug? I, I ain't that. I don't do shit. Oh, well, <laughs> uh, well, so um, I'm going to plug two quick things. So one is a lot of people in my circles are questioning this progressive narrative that things is progressively getting better. So that's just something to think about. Like, maybe we shouldn't even think about things just progressively getting better. Just how we're going to exist in this racist systemic system. But secondly, Black Lives Matter Williamsburg, we're in existence. Um, some of my comments came from working in Black Lives Matter Williamsburg because it's it's hard for, it for people to just focus on Black Lives here in Williamsburg. So in Williamsburg, I'm give a plug. To, if you're in Williamsburg, you listen to this. Get involved with Black Lives Matter Williamsburg, and Black Lives Matter Williamsburg is focusing on Black Lives, and we are going to center those in the margins. So Black queer, Black trans, um. If you're black anyway, we love you. <laughs> but yeah, we really want to center blackness, especially those on the margins. Um, I would say that if you're out here doing this work, whether it be within academia or whether it be on the front lines, whether you're someone who, for whatever reason, believes in fighting, I mean, working within the system, um, mental health is important. Yeah. No, no, yes. no know when to take a step back. Actually, this is my week. Y'all got lucky. This is my week to actually be, I'm actually on break for mental health. So y'all planned right in the middle of my, of my week to be free. <laughs> so y'all lucky. But, uh, um, thank but we hang it out right. on Friday, though, Thank right? you. We gotta um, hang out on Friday. We gotta hang out on Friday. I was free. Um, we gotta hang out but on no, Friday. But no, so but yeah. making sure. Sh- right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you a danger girl. <laughs> um, but no, uh, just making sure that you remember, like, to take a step back, to breathe, to do things you enjoy. Like, yeah. I feel like a lot of us do Not this work true. and we get so exhausted mm-hmm. like myself right. because we don't take the time out to say breaks and yeah. breathe and do things that we enjoy and love. Like, I'm watching Grey's Anatomy and reading James Baldwin and I just oh. feel like that's mm. the, um, yeah. no name in the street. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading James Baldwin and so I'm just, I'm trying to figure out what that looks like to me. Like, what, what, yeah. What makes me happy? I guess because yeah. this is a lot. This, this work can be right. Yeah, like. right. Yeah. And this black. This 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 is a very heavy battle. So it's a lot of work that goes into this. So mm-hmm. just remember, like, to to mental health. Think about the pressure. Think about your anxiety. Make yeah. make sure you're eating, drinking water, being great, getting some sun for the melanin. You know, keeping it <laughs> popping. Just you know. <laughs> Relax sometimes and take self-care a step back. Right, self care is is important. 
Um, the, the thing that I want to say about an academic, especially in dealing with these things, yes, self-care is good, but also make sure you're amplifying black voices yes. um, <laughs> in the movement voices. so much of the time that we... Um, that we do our writing or that we, you know, preparing for speeches and presentations, we tend to go to um, the the very credible and reputable sources, but make sure that you're looking for your black sisters and brothers who are writing about this, but who aren't getting um, the the platform because of the way the publishing and the promotion industry work. There are a lot of black women um, out there who have written about black women in the movement. There are a lot of black men and black um, trans men and trans women who have written about the the issues that... um, um, that amplify their voices, um, get them heard and get them out there as well. And then the only other thing I would say is that I read, um, Claudia, is it Rankin? Rankin? Her citizen, the book citizen. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but the book is just, it, you put it down, you pick it up, you put it down, you pick it up, but you, you have to, have to read it. She doesn't, she doesn't need my promotion. She's doing fine without me, but it is, it is amazing. Um, it's, oh yeah. R A. N-K-I-N-E. I've heard about this. It's and yeah. I don't know how to well, pronounce it. I think it's Rankin, but she this book is Why haven't I got everything? So it's Citizen, an American lyric, Washington University, I think is the press. Mm-hmm. Washington University Press. Yeah. Everybody should read this. I think well, this should be freshman reading at every campus. Well, <laughs> you talked about amplifying voices, mm-hmm. and I hope that this podcast was able to amplify your voices. Oh, and as you. we spread this around the interwebs, we'll yeah. hopefully keep amplifying this conversation to kick off other conversations um, amongst the listeners and like wherever you are at your metaphorical kitchen tables. So thank you again for coming on. Thank you. Thanks. And I want to thank our wonderful guests once again, Travis Harris, Tyrell Cooper, and Shauna Haynes, um, for coming in the studio with me and having that really um, engaging and serious, but then also enjoyable and hopeful conversation um, about the movement for black lives. Um, Again, we've been plugging lots of episodes throughout. um, And so I have one more episode that I want to plug for you if you are interested in following these thoughts as they continue um, to rhizomatically spread out. um, Check out the interview that I did with Dr. Lester Spence um, maybe about four months ago or five months ago now um, on his book, Knocking the Hustle, which describes the neoliberal turn in black politics. But that book and that podcast discussion is right in line with the things we were talking about today, along with the Kara Keeling episode on her book, um, The Witch's Flight. And then last summer, we had the episode on Afro-pessimism and Black Optimist Theory. And so all those episodes, um, I think, plus this one, will make you the most knowledgeable and equipped person on Black Lives Matter and on critical race theory and your circle of friends. Um, And so as I'm pointing to the past, let's point to the future. We have some more interesting shows that are lining up. Um, We are going to be discussing Afro-Latino art and aesthetics and activism um, in New York City. And then we also have another episode coming up soon that's going to be dealing with um, food justice and and agriculture, local agriculture, um, co-ops and those kinds of things. So trying to bring a little bit of everything to you here on Epistemic Unruliness, keep you fully rounded, fully critical, and always already, and ding, always already, um, 
an enlightened thinker. Um, I'll close on that note. Um, tap, tipping a hat uh, a little bit there to um, our desire, I suppose, to re-enlighten another enlightenment and not necessarily follow in the original enlightenment. Um, I bid you all an always already day. Bye. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Always Already Podcast, which is created by James Pyloni Jr., John McMahon, Emily Crandall, Rachel Brown, and B. Altman. Visit our website, alwaysalreadypodcast.wordpress.com, and also text you'd like us to discuss advice, questions to answer, dreams to analyze, to alwaysalreadypodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at alwaysalreadyon, subscribe to our RSS feed, leave us a review on iTunes, and please give us some money at Patreon, patreon.com slash alwaysalreadypodcast. Thank you to Leah for her song Static Loops, our intro music. Thank you, as always, to B for their cover of Landslide, which you're hearing right now. And you also heard from my friend Jordan with his cover of Norwegian Wood. Until next time, have an always already day. And I want to thank again um, our wonderful go- wonderful guests. Cut this one, um, John. We'll start this again.